place this is. Well, I've been to better places, Victoria, and no mistake. The TARDIS had materialised in the foothills of a mountain. A narrow gully led down to the field some distance below, over which a grey mist hung. An utterly familiar smell wafted in on the wind. I hugged myself for warmth. Jamie put a protective arm over my shoulder. The doctor stepped out of the TARDIS and locked the door. My word, but that was a lucky escape, he said. I hope you're both impressed how well I handled the TARDIS. Yes, yes, you were very clever, Doctor, I agreed. But what happened? Well, the TARDIS momentarily materialised in space, he said, and we were struck by a meteor. A what? A big rock in the sky, Jamie. The, the, the TARDIS isn't damaged, is it, Doctor? He shook his head. The crash had deflected the meteor to Earth, but in the process, some of the time machine's delicate machinery had been knocked off balance. He'd been forced to make an emergency landing here. But where is here? I asked. The doctor surveyed the bleak landscape. I fancy I've been here before, he said. I travelled down the old Silk Road with... Oh, my word. What is that smell? Forget about that. Can we not get out of here? Victoria's right. This is a horrible place. We had to wait for the instruments to recalibrate, the doctor said. Until then, he couldn't promise to fly the TARDIS with any accuracy. Ah, well, he can't do that now, so no change there. In the meantime, we had to find shelter. Especially now night was falling and a storm brewing. Perhaps there were people in the valley below who could help. Jamie and I weren't so sure. Nevertheless, we followed the doctor as he had made his way down the steep path. Here, let me give you a hand. I can help myself, thank you so much, Jamie. Where do you think we are? The doctor said he'd been here before. Oh, the doctor's as much in the dark as we are. He never knows where he is. He mentioned the old Silk Road, didn't he? But that means we must be... In China. And just where is that? Near Tibet. Oh, you remember Tibet, don't you? Aye. Hey, you don't think there'll be any of those great big hairy beasts like last time, do you? Vietti? Don't be silly, Jamie. We're not in their time. How do you know? It could be the past or the future, as far as he knows. Now, come on. Give me your hand. The path gets tricky here. Mind your step. Look... Almost at the bottom now. Oh, I wish I could see more in this mist. You know, I don't... I don't think it's mist at all. I knew we shouldn't have come. If there's any trouble to be found, then you can be sure the doctor will find... It's more like smoke from something burning. Victoria. No, what is that smell? It, it reminds me of something. Ow! Jamie... Don't hold so tight, you're hurting me. Uh, Victoria, we'd better go back to the TARDIS. Now, no, nonsense. Now, if we don't get a move on, we'll lose the Doctor. Oh, mercy. That is an odd smell. Victoria, you shouldn't go any further. Of course. Now I know what it is. Oh, Jamie, it was ever so funny. It was back at our old house. And Cook had fallen asleep. And the food... 
Oh. Oh, Jamie. Oh, Jamie. How, how terrible. The smoke had cleared, and I recoiled at the sight Jamie had been trying to spare me. Before us, the field was strewn with corpses, piled one upon the other. Fifty, a hundred, I couldn't tell. Neither did I want to. This is an evil place, said the doctor. Before we could head back to the TARDIS, two riders galloped up to us. One was about Jamie's age, dressed in a simple tunic. His companion, sitting tall and proud on his horse, wore robes of black silk. A hood concealed his face. Just let me do the talking, the doctor said, and greeted the newcomers. The gods are angry and demand vengeance, the younger man declared. We hear their anger in the wind and the storm. Are you the gods? And why might you think that? inquired the doctor. You have come down from the sacred mountain, he replied. Only the gods dwell there, and they are angry. Yes, yes, so you keep saying, said the doctor impatiently. Now perhaps you could tell us why they are angry? If you are the gods, then you will know, said the rider. Oh, don't be silly. We're not the gods, I told him. Heavens, we're nothing of the sort. We're just travellers. The taller of the two riders dismounted and pulled back his hood. I was surprised to see that he was, in fact, a woman in her mid-thirties with an imperious face and closely cropped black hair. This is a dangerous land for travellers, she stated. I can jolly well see that, the doctor said. Those poor people. No wonder your gods are angry. Are you perhaps barbarians from beyond the northern wall, she asked. She considered Jamie's kilt. He certainly has the look of a barbarian. I'm no barbarian. I'm a McCrimmon and proud of it. The doctor promised we weren't barbarians, not even Jamie, and then asked whom he had the honour of addressing. The woman introduced herself as Xiao Fen, a seamstress from a nearby village. Her companion was Guan, a farmer from the same place. So, Fen, tell me why your gods are angry, asked the doctor. Ten days ago... A great rock fell from the sky, she began. Hey, that must have been... The meteor that hit us. The doctor told us to let Fen finish her story. It fell in the village of Shang To, where we stand now, she continued. It's coming as a sign of the god's displeasure with the Emperor Jin. You see, Jamie, I told you I was right. We are in China. Qin was the first emperor of China back in, uh, oh, uh, oh, I don't know, about, about 200 BC or so. Ah, uh, if you say so. The doctor wanted to know what the meteorite had to do with the deaths of all the people here. The answer was chilling. Fearful that they would spread news of this evil omen, Qin's men had raised the village to the ground. Any survivors had subsequently been killed to ensure their silence. That's awful, I said. That is the maintenance of order, she replied flatly. The people must not be allowed to doubt their master. Then their master must be a very insecure individual indeed, if he sees fit to slaughter an entire village for the sake of... What nonsense did you call it? The maintenance of order, the doctor said. Fen ignored the doctor's comment and smiled. But I'm lacking in manners, she said. You are strangers, and darkness approaches. Let me offer you shelter. Uh, thank you so very much. I, I don't think so. Aye, if it's all right with you, we'll just go back to the TARDIS. I, I mean, our caravan. The doctor, however, said he'd be delighted to accept her hospitality. As we followed... The doctor drew my attention to Fen's black robes. They seemed far too expensive for a mere seamstress. And there was something else Jamie pointed out. I've never seen nobler beasts, not even an assassin at all. 
How do peasants get hold of such fine horses? The doctor agreed. Nothing, it seemed, was quite as it appeared in the land ruled over by the mighty Emperor Ching. I slept that night on a straw mattress in Fen's hut and woke early the next morning. Who's there? It's me, Jamie. Come in. Jamie had bought me a breakfast bowl of milky porridge. Of Fen, there was no sign. I tried to eat the porridge, but had to give up after the first mouthful. Ah, well, I don't blame you. Fine Highland oats and a wee dab of salt, that's what you need. Not the millet that I use round here. Jamie, where did you and the doctor sleep? In Gwan's hut. Now, there's a strange one. Doesn't say much, but you get the feeling he's, he's always listening, you know, taking things in. Have you had the chance to look around yet? Not much to see. Just 15 or so thatched huts at the edge of a big wood. And have you met any of the other villagers? Some. They were especially interested in you. Oh, really? What do they have to say? They wanted to know whether you were the doctor's concub... Concubine. Hi, that's it. Concubine? What did you tell them? Well, of course, I told them that you... Hey, what's that to do outside? We went out to see what all the fuss was about. The doctor was surrounded by a crowd of villagers and he was stamping his feet in irritation. I tell you, my friends and I are not spies, he insisted, and beckoned us over. If we were spies, then do you think we'd dress in these preposterous clothes? I mean, look at Jamie. Wouldn't we want to blend in? A thin-faced man called Fu Su stepped forward. We were spies of the Emperor, he insisted and pointed to the Stiandu, the knife Jamie wore tucked in his boot. Or perhaps assassins, he said. The boy carries a weapon. We know the Emperor has forbidden all but those of noble birth to bear arms. We were strangers here, the doctor said. Why would we want to assassinate someone we'd never even met? There had been many attempts on the Emperor's life, Fen explained. Even now, there were rumours of another plot being planned by the barbarians beyond the northern wall. It was hardly surprising people wanted to assassinate the emperor, the doctor said. If he went around killing people, like he did at Shangtou. The emperor has done great things, the man called Wang said. He united the warring states and granted us order and eternal peace. And at what cost? asked the doctor. Eternal peace for eternal terror, where anyone who doubts him is burnt alive? See how easily they voice their treachery, Fu Su said. Shall we, too, suffer the fate of Shang To? For if the Emperor finds us harboring killers, then that will be our fate. Why would the gods send them down from the sacred mountain to kill the Emperor? Fen asked. Need you ask? Fu Su said. Need I remind you, of all people, about the thousands who questioned Chin and were punished? Of the scholars buried alive when they failed to find the last of the great artifacts? The fabled ninth wonder that guarantees dominion over all eternity? He held no love for Chin, he said. But to aid his foes would bring doom down on the village. The doctor decided he'd been ignored for too long. We were not spies or assassins, he declared. We were not gods. We were especially not barbarians. Well, at least he and I weren't, he added. Before Jamie could point out that he wasn't a barbarian either, Fusu spotted a figure emerging from the woods, being escorted by two villagers. The stranger was a stout, middle-aged man, his beard flecked with grey. He was dressed in a rough blue robe and wore open sandals on his feet. He relied for support on a wooden staff and walked with a pronounced stoop. Fu Su looked suspiciously at the newcomer, who said his name was Chong. He was a monk on a pilgrimage to a temple in the Songshang Mountains, a hundred leagues away. How long had he been hiding in the woods, Fu Su demanded. More importantly, what had he heard? 
Long enough to know some here do not love their emperor with all their heart, the monk replied. His allegiance to the emperor was absolute, Fusu claimed, as was that of the entire village. Then would they be prepared to lay their life down for him, Chong asked, or would they run away like cowards should the assassin's knife strike? Fen wondered why he was asking these questions. He does not have the aspect of a man of these parts, Guan said. His manner is more that of a person from Zhao. And the men from Zhao have always harbored a hatred for the emperor, Fu Su recalled. He grabbed Chong's hand and turned it over to display his palm. It was rough and pitted, and a scar ran across it. These were not the hands of a monk used only in prayer, he declared. These were the hands of a warrior. Well, then it's obvious, isn't it? We're not your barbarian assassins. He is. I bet he's been spying on you for days now, out there in the woods, seeing if any of you will stick up for your precious emperor. Jamie, don't be silly. He's just a traveller, exactly like us. Is he now? Well, he's hardly dressed for travelling, is he? Well, if you put it like that, then neither are we. Ah, well, that might be so, but... Take a look at his feet. Those sandals wouldn't last a day in this terrain. And his clothes. His clothes wouldn't keep him warm all the way up that mountain of his. Now, Jamie, be reasonable. And if he's really going to this temple a hundred leagues away, then where's his pack and provisions? Why, he's probably left them with his horse in the wood. That's right, isn't it, John? Isn't it? You see, it's not answering. He must have something to hide. Look at how well fed he is. I thought monks were meant to live frugal lives like those we met in Tibet. This one looks as though he dines on haggis and neeps every night of the week. If he's a monk, then he's like no monk I've ever seen. Jamie, you're jumping to conclusions. You've no evidence for any of this. The mood of the crowd was getting ugly. Chong was clearly the rumoured assassin, they said. It would be better to kill him here and now and prove their loyalty to the emperor. Hey, wait a minute, that's not what I had in mind. Believe me, Chong said, I am no assassin. I love the Emperor as much as all of you, more perhaps. Still the crowd wasn't convinced. I stepped forward, placing myself between them and Chong. You should be ashamed of yourselves, I said. A holy man comes to your village and you treat him like this? Back where I come from... We would show him more respect. We would offer him shelter and give him food and drink. You say he's an assassin? But you said my friends and I were too. Are you that afraid of every stranger that you suspect the worst? And if he is an assassin, then where are his weapons? I have no weapons, Jong said, and pointed at Jamie. But he has. Hey, now what are you saying? Jamie shuffled uncomfortably, as he now became the unwelcome centre of attention. The doctor reached out and relieved him of his ski and do. He would put it in Guan's hut for safekeeping, he said. I had, however, succeeded in calming the crowd, and they slowly dispersed. After they left, Chong thanked me. No one had ever shown him, a stranger, such kindness before, he said. I said we should no longer be strangers, but friends, and introduce myself. Surely everyone treated a holy man such as him with respect, I asked. I am no holy man, Victoria Waterfield decided. I have done evil in my life, as has the great Emperor Chin. We all of us have done evil, I replied. Sometimes we do evil without knowing it. Suddenly... I recalled the meteor the TARDIS had deflected in space. That had been the meteorite that had fallen on Shang To and had been taken as a sign of the god's anger, and it was on account of that omen that men, women and children of Shang To had been killed. With a horrible, sickening feeling in my stomach, I realised that Dr. Jamie and myself were responsible. However indirectly, for the deaths of all those people. Without us, they would still be alive today. 
Some evils may be too great for forgiveness, Chong said. No, Chong. There's nothing which can't be forgiven. I've seen some terrible things in my life. But I know that everyone... Yes, even those dull... Even those horrible demons that killed my father... Even they have a chance of redemption. There's good in everyone, Chong. I truly believe that. Chong shuddered. There was another storm on the way, he said. The gods were angry and would not rest until their vengeance was satisfied. I frowned, not quite knowing what Chong meant, nor why he suddenly seemed so terribly afraid. I met later with the doctor and Jamie by Guan's hut, as the men returned from the fields from their midday meal. Fu Su, I noticed, was not among them. Chong sat a little way off, shunned by the rest. No one wanted to be seen with someone who might or might not be an enemy of the Emperor. A small boy ran up to us. A mighty lord was approaching with twenty men on horseback. All dressed in black, he told us breathlessly, and he'd heard the soldiers call the Lord by name. He was the great Li Sai himself. Li was the Emperor's Chancellor, Guan told me. What could he possibly want here? Well, what do you think? Jamie indicated the place where Chong had been sitting. The monk had vanished. That proves I was right. The first sight of the Emperor's men and he scurries off into hiding. The Emperor's obviously caught wind of his plan and sent his soldiers to capture him. Don't be so rash, Jamie, the doctor cautioned as the horsemen rode into view. Let's see what Lee has to say for himself, first of all, shall we? Lee Sai was a tall, thin man with a hawk nose and dark eyes. His robes of black were brocaded with gold, and he carried a sword at his side. Twenty guards, wearing hauberks and helmets, rode alongside him. Which of you is the doctor? he asked the dismounted. When no one replied, Lee pointed a long, bony finger at Jamie. Are you the doctor? Don't be so daft. Of course you're not the doctor, Lee said. You have a barbarian mean about you. Hey, look, for once and for all, I'm not a barbarian. Oh, what's the point? The doctor stepped forward, his hands clasped in front of him. I am the doctor, he said. May I ask why you need to know? Lee ordered his men to seize him. The doctor was to accompany them, he said. What did they want with him, I asked. The Emperor seeks the elixir of life, so he may rule the world forever, Lee announced. The Doctor has come down from the sacred mountain and has communed with the immortals. I've certainly done no such thing, the Doctor protested. My friends and I were just taking a pleasant little stroll on your mountain when... Wait a minute. How do you know where we came from? Lee called over to Fu Su had been staying out of sight. Fu Su had betrayed us, I realised. For all his talk about hating Jin, he'd actually been spying on us. Even if I wanted to help you, I couldn't, the doctor informed me. I don't have the secret of immortality. Then find it, Lee said. If not, then I shall burn this village down to the ground and its people with it. Reluctantly, the doctor agreed to go with Lee. Jamie and I weren't to worry, he told us. He'd sort something out and see us again very soon. As the doctor was led away, so Fu Su knelt before Lee. Now he had delivered the doctor, might he expect some mark of gratitude? I bring the only thanks the emperor gives, Lee said. Lee unsheathed his sword and, in one swift, deadly movement, separated Fu Su's head from its body. He's betrayed his friends, Lee said. Who is to say that in time he would not betray his emperor also? That's barbaric, 
and you call me a barbarian? No, it was not barbaric, Lee insisted. It was the maintenance of order. After Lee and his men had gone, I turned to Jamie. We have to do something. We can't let them take the doctor like that. What can we do? We don't even know where they've gone. They will have taken him to Shenyang, the Imperial City, said Fen, who had kept a discreet distance away while Lee had been present. It lies across the Wei River. Would she take us there, I asked. The city was heavily guarded, she replied. Its gates closed to outsiders. Jamie, this is dreadful. How on earth are we ever going to rescue the doctor? Now, don't you fret yourself, Victoria. We'll think of something. If only we could all get back to the TARDIS. Then we could escape this terrible place and go to some other place or time. The past, the future, I don't mind. TARDIS? asked one. What is this TARDIS? Oh, it's hard to explain. It's a sort of magic... Jamie tapped me urgently on the shoulder. Hey, look, over there. See who's creeping out from his hiding place? I looked in the direction Jamie was pointing. Chong was emerging from the woods, where he'd concealed himself the moment Lee had arrived. Jamie called over to him. It was safe for the lily-livered coward to come out now that Lee had gone, he shouted. Chong, seeing the anger in Jamie's eyes, stood upright and retreated into the trees. Jamie started off in pursuit, and then halted at the wood's edge. He drew my attention to something Chong had dropped on the ground. You see? Didn't I tell you there was something not quite right about that monk? Ah, he's left his staff behind. I thought he needed that to lean upon. Ah, he needs that stick as much as I do. And did you see the way he ran off? Faster than a hunted stag. And he lost that stoop of his now, didn't he? I don't understand. It shows I was right all along. Chong must be the assassin, travelling in disguise. And what made you think that? The clues are all there. He's too fat for a monk, and his hands are a warrior's hands. He hides when the emperor comes looking for him, and didn't Guan say he had a look of a foreigner? But, Jamie, that's all just circumstantial. C circum... what? You've no proper proof. Chong might be telling the truth. He might really be a monk on a pilgrimage. Then why run away? If I'd have seen the look on your face, I'd have probably run off myself. Before Jamie could reply, Wang ran up to us. Chong had been spotted riding off on a fine horse, he told us. He'd been making for the river and the north. So, Jamie was right, Fen said. Chong had claimed to be travelling to the Songshang Mountains, she reminded us. But those mountains were in the east of the country. Not the north. So what's in the north that Chong would want to ride there? The Imperial City, Guan replied. Chong will be heading there to kill the Emperor. I no longer knew what to think. All the evidence seemed to prove Jamie right. But for some reason, call it a woman's instinct perhaps, I still couldn't quite believe Chong was an assassin. Aren't we forgetting something? I asked. We must rescue the Doctor. Lee's threat to burn down the village was no idle one, Fen knew. But there was a possible solution. First of all, did I now believe that Chong was the assassin? I suppose that might be right, I said uncertainly. Then if we could reach the Emperor before Chong and warn him, there was a chance that a grateful Ching might free the Doctor. But Chong has a head start, I pointed out. The city is surrounded by a bamboo forest that will slow him down, Fen said. And there is a way which a barbarian like Chong would not know. A great network of subterranean walkways lay under the city, linking all the Emperor's many residences, she told us. She knew of an entrance out there on the plains past the Wei River. She was remarkably well informed, I observed. She told me her husband had died building those tunnels. I'm sorry, I said. She waved away my concern. Were we all of one opinion, she asked. 
Jamie and I nodded. We would ride to the Imperial City to save the life of a tyrant and to free the Doctor. By dawn the following day, and after a brief halt for sleep, we had crossed the Way River and reached the plains before the Imperial City. Even from a mile or so away, it looked magnificent. Its walls towered high above a forest of bamboo, and from the battlements, golden dragons guarded huge bronze gates that remained firmly shut. At the very centre, on a hill surrounded by pavilions and lush green gardens, was the palace itself. Its dazzling turquoise roof glittering in the early morning sun. This was the heart of the empire and the likeliest place to find the doctor. Fen sent our horses off. They'd find their own way back to the village, she said, and our destination was no place for them. I asked how she intended us to return after rescuing the doctor. She gave no reply. Did she expect us ever to return, I wondered? Jamie had other concerns. The ski and do the doctor had left for safekeeping in Guan's hut had gone missing. It's daft, but I feel naked without it. You won't need it where we're going. We're here to save a life, remember? Half concealed by bushes, in the side of a hillock, Fen found an opening in the ground. Wasting no time, she scrambled inside and told us to follow. Jamie took my hand and helped me through, with Guan taking up the rear. Narrow stone steps led down into a tunnel. The only illumination was that from the daylight outside. Yet, as we moved further on down, we were able to walk upright, so the light grew. Torches had been mounted at regular intervals along the sides of the tunnel and had masks decorating the walls. In the flickering light, they seemed almost alive, staring at us as we made our way deeper underground. From behind us, I heard something in the dark. Guan frowned. Had someone betrayed us to me? Were we being followed? Hurrying further on, we found more evidence of human occupation. Earthenware pots, a glazed vase, and curiously, an old wooden chest. I opened it up. Inside were all manner of clothes, including simple blue tunics and elaborate black robes. What is it? Jamie, it's just like the dressing up box we used to have at home when we played charades. Then what's it doing here? Jamie, Guan was right. There is someone following us. There was no time to lose. Fen hastened us down to where the tunnel forked into two directions. We took the left-hand path, hoping our pursuer would choose the other. Anxious minutes followed. Lee did not appear. It seemed we had evaded him after all. We continued to where the tunnel opened up into a cathedral-like space. Bronze oil lamps hung suspended from the roof high above us casting weird and changing shadows on towering pillars of porphyry. The vaulted dome itself was studded with hundreds of precious stones, placed there to represent the heavenly constellations. Before us, a set of black marble steps descended into what seemed to be some sort of arena. Jamie, it's beautiful! Suddenly, Jamie clutched my arm. Jamie! It's too late, Victoria. Lee's tricked us. He's driven us straight into an ambush. Waiting for us down in the arena were Lee's soldiers. Their faces were hard and cruel and bloodlust gleamed in their unblinking soulless eyes. Their swords were raised high above their heads. They were ready to strike us down. Jamie was right. We were trapped. And there was no hope of escape. Thank you.
I screamed and cowered, waiting for the fatal blow. It was a blow that never came. I uncovered my eyes and looked up. The guard still towered above me, poised to attack, his sword raised and ready to strike me dead. And yet, he made not a single movement, uttered not a single cry. I rose and looked at the other soldiers. They were all as silent and as unmoving as my attacker. The entire cavern was populated by an immobile army, row upon row of literally stone-faced soldiers and warriors. Jamie, they're all statues. We're in a cave of statues. Hey, now, just be careful, Victoria. I approached the nearest figure and tapped it. It was made of some kind of hard-baked clay. But what on earth were all these statues doing here? The Emperor is afraid, Fen said, and these warriors will protect him in the afterlife. Afraid? What's he got to be afraid of? Yes, I thought he was all-powerful. And why does he need protection in the afterlife anyway? I always thought the afterlife was supposed to be a happy place. We'd be afraid too, Fen said, if we'd been guilty of the terrible sins done in his name. But if Chin became Emperor for Eternity, then he could forever cheat death and escape the gods' punishment. And if he failed, then he would have the warriors to protect him. I was about to say that he should have jolly well thought about all that before he started his evil reign, when I spotted someone moving between the statues at the far end of the chamber. Before he vanished into the shadows, I recognised him. It hadn't been Lee following us, I realised, but Chong. But how can that be? asked Guan. None but the Emperor's men know of these walkways. Does that matter? We have to get to the Emperor before Chong does. Wait a minute, though. If he does get there first, then won't everything be all right? Jamie, what on earth do you mean? Well... If Chong kills the Emperor, then we could all free the Doctor and get back to the TARDIS. Jamie, when have you ever known things to be that simple? Ah, well, maybe you're right. Besides, don't you think there have been enough deaths already? Jamie was wrong, Fen said. Were the Emperor to be killed, then Lee would want word of it kept secret. Just as he had massacred the villagers at Shangtou, so he'd slaughter everyone within the palace. I asked whether human life was so cheap here in ancient China. Modern-day China, I hastily corrected myself. She didn't answer, but I saw Guan had noticed my slip of the tongue. We weaved our way through the ranks of soldiers until we reached an ornate archway, which opened into a long passageway. At the end of the passage, another marble stairway climbed upwards. I was just about to step forward when Fen pulled me back. Stretching out before us was no floor, but a pool of shining silver. A grey vapour hung in the air. I, <coughs> I coughed on the fumes. Jamie handed me his handkerchief to cover my nose and mouth. Many such silver streams flowed through Chin's great underground hallways, Fen told us. And I wondered how she knew. The only way across to the other side was by a set of ten stepping stones. Fen pulled her hood over her face to protect herself from the fumes and leapt confidently onto the first stepping stone. She was followed by Guan. Come on, Victoria. Oh, Jamie, I don't know. I'm scared. What's there to be afraid of? Oh, you're not scared of getting your feet wet now, are you, Miss Waterfield? It's just a little bit of water. Jamie, that little bit of water, as you call it, it's mercury. It's poisonous. If we fall in there, we're dead. Then let's not fall in there, then. Mind, you're just a wee girl, so if you are scared... James Robert McCrimmon, I am not scared. Just you see... Oh, oh Jamie... My head hurts. Aye, it's the fumes. You'll feel better when we reach the other side. 
Jamie, I don't think I can. Feeling so sleepy. Victoria, come on. You've got to do it. We've both got to do it for the doctor. Yes, the doctor. We must save the doctor. Now, you hold on to me and we'll be all right together, you hear? Like we always have been. Yes, Jamie. We'll be all right together. Jamie picked me up in his arms and jumped carefully onto the first stone. Jamie's knees almost buckled beneath him, but he kept his balance. Slowly, we made our way to the far side where the others were waiting. Satisfied I was unharmed, Fen led us up the steps. Time was of the essence. Chong might strike at any moment. Yet, after a few minutes, we had reached a dead end. Fen wasn't concerned. A hanging screen adorned one wall, and she drew it back to reveal a low dragon-shaped relief, which she pressed. A door swung open. She certainly knows her way around this place. Remember, her husband helped build these tunnels. Aye, and died doing so. We had entered a large and busy interior courtyard, from whose six sides a series of porticos led off like spokes from a wheel. From time to time, smart-dressed officials would pass by, consulting important-looking documents written on bamboo leaf. Curiously, no one gave us more than a cursory glance before proceeding onto whatever business they had. Flags and standards of black hung from the walls, giving the place a distinctly funereal feel. Black was the colour of nobility, Fenn explained, and she had brought us not just to the imperial city, but to the palace itself. Surely we'd be stopped before we got anywhere near the Emperor, I asked. The palace was securely guarded, more so even than the city, she said, and none but those in the Emperor's confidence were allowed here alive. And as few knew of the existence of the walkways, the very fact that we were here proved we had the Emperor's trust. I was more concerned with the Doctor, As Fen led Guan and Jamie to where she said the Imperial Quarters were located, I took off down one of the walkways leading off from the main hall. For, from a place not so far away, I could hear the sound of someone playing a recorder. I smiled and headed off in that direction, happy I'd found the doctor so quickly. Suddenly, the music stopped. I quickened my pace. Fearful something dreadful had happened to the doctor. I had terrible visions of him being tortured or being forced at sword point to produce the elixir of life. Instead, I found him reclining on a luxurious divan, propped up by extremely comfortable cushions. He had laid his recorder aside and was picking away at delicacies from a silver platter on the table beside him. He smiled when he saw me, and stood up to greet me. Ah, Victoria, there you are, he said. You found me, I knew you would. Doctor, how are you? I asked. What awful things have they done to you? Awful things, the doctor frowned. He'd been made to feel most welcome, he said. I didn't understand. If he was allowed this much freedom, why didn't he try to escape? Ah, well, if I do try to leave the palace, then they kill me, he said simply. And the secret of immortality? Had he revealed it to the emperor? He was working on that, he assured me. Gleefully, he drew my attention to a cauldron standing over a fire in the centre of the room. Inside there bubbled a grey mixture I first took to be some sort of chemical concoction, but which, on closer inspection, proved to be rice pudding, and singularly lumpy rice pudding at that. He didn't seem to be taking things seriously at all, I pointed out disapprovingly. The doctor tapped his nose in a secretive manner. It's all a matter of time, he told me, just a matter of keeping the emperor waiting. 
The year was 210 BC, he said, and he'd learnt that in just a few days' time, the emperor would be making a trip to the eastern provinces. There he would be taken ill and die of natural causes. It was all in the history books, so there really wasn't any reason to worry now, was there? But, Doctor, you're wrong, I told him. The Emperor isn't going to die of natural causes. Chong's come here to kill him. The Doctor suddenly became serious. Jamie said there was something not right about that monk, he cried. Chong has to be stopped. The Emperor must be warned. That's what we're here for, I said, and quickly added, and to rescue you, of course. Then I suggest we find the Emperor right away, the Doctor declared, heading for the door. Chong must not succeed. We cannot allow history to be changed. We found Jamie Fen and Guan in the small anteroom. Two armed men were standing guard at either side of a pair of bronze double doors. They were accompanied by Meng, a small weaselish man, who informed us grandly that he was an important official and the servant of the great Li Sai. We wanted an audience with the Emperor, not his minions, the Doctor told him. The Doctor pushed impatiently past and strode up to the closed doors. The guards moved to stop him, but Meng ordered them to let us through. The Doctor flung open the doors and we followed him into a large throne room. Its high arch ceiling was made of amber and its floor of pearl. The walls were covered with the customary banners of imperial black. On one side of the room stood a black lacquered screen and at the other end, half hidden in the shadows, rose a large platform or dais upon which sat a slight bearded figure on a throne. It was the great Emperor Jin himself. Four guards protected him, one at each compass point. Standing before the dais was Li. Have you brought immortality, Doctor? He asked. I bring something more precious, Li, the Doctor replied. I bring knowledge. Isn't that right, Victoria? The Emperor's life is in danger, I told Li. A monk called Chong has come here to kill him. Li frowned. He recalled no monk when he visited the village the other day, he said. Aye, he made sure he was well out of sight when you arrived. Li walked up to Fen, who stared defiantly at him, refusing to be intimidated. You do not have the bearing of a peasant, he remarked. I remember the doctor saying her silk robes were far too expensive as someone of her rank. Your countenance seems familiar. My husband was the Lord Wang Fu, she said. He served the emperor faithfully till the time Qing abolished the nobility. It was an act my lord deemed unwise. For this, he was sent to work on the underground walkways. I chose for him a fit punishment, Lee said. And, as I recall, the Emperor released him in his dying days. Dying from the silver vapors of Chin's Mercury Lakes, she said angrily. And now I come to avenge my lord. She pulled out from under her robes Jamie's ski and do, which I now realized Guan had stolen. She lunged for Lee. Lee groaned and staggered back, and the guards left their Emperor to rush over to his aid. Fen pushed past them and ran towards the dais where Chin was seated, now alone and defenceless. She leapt upon the dais and dragged the frail old man off his throne. Holding him by the throat, she raised the ski and do, ready to deliver her assassin's blow. Lee and the guards stood back. The dais was sacred, forbidden to all but the emperor himself, and they dare not step upon it. I took advantage of their confusion and climbed onto the dais. Jamie and the doctor ran towards me, but the guards restrained them. You can't kill him in cold blood, I cried, as I tried to wrest the ski and do from her. The thousands he has murdered say otherwise, she declared. I will show him the pity he showed Shang To. Whatever he's done, no one deserves this, I said. 
she snarled and pushed me roughly away. And then she struck deep into the Emperor's heart. I dragged her away, and we both slipped and tumbled off the dais. Releasing the Doctor and Jamie, the guards rushed forward and seized her. The Doctor and Jamie helped me to my feet. I looked in horror at the dead body on the dais. Lee, however, was strangely unmoved. He strolled nonchalantly over to Fen. So, the assassin reveals herself at last, he said. Do with me what you will, she replied. I have ended the Emperor's reign of evil. Did she really think so, Lee chuckled, and instructed the guards to take her away. One of the men returned. Fen was dead. She would be displayed at the city gates, Lee said, as a warning to all who held ill will towards the Emperor. But the Emperor was dead, I reminded him. Lee laughed. The frail man in imperial robes had been a decoy, he told us, designed to root out any would-be assassin. He was a slave, existing only to die for the Emperor. Another would take his place by nightfall. That's barbaric, I said. I was going to say more when I heard a peculiar noise. It sounded exactly like someone sobbing and seemed to be coming from behind the black screen at the far end of the room. Was someone hiding there, spying on us? I was about to draw the doctor and James' attention to it, when Lee walked up and regarded me curiously. You tried to save the life of a man you thought was the Emperor, he said. Why would you, a barbarian, do such a thing? Perhaps Victoria thinks all life is important, suggested the Doctor. Perhaps she thinks that no matter what a man may have done in his life, that there is still some chance of redemption. Lee frowned. The idea was alien to him. He turned to Guam. He'd been party to Fenn's assassination attempt, Lee declared. He, too, would suffer her fate. Guam looked slyly at Lee. He knew of a great secret that would bring the Emperor immortality, he said. If his life was spared, then he would share that secret. The Doctor, Jamie and I, had descended from the Sacred Mountain, he told Lee, and we possessed a great magical artifact. It was an artifact called TARDIS, a wonder that defied the laws of the ages. The ninth wonder that was lost, Lee realized. And did Guan know where this wonder was? Guan shook his head. All he knew was that it was somewhere in the foothills of the sacred mountain. Then of what further use was he? Lee asked. He unsheathed his sword, and before Guan could even cry out, drove it right through him. So perish all who do not serve the Emperor Chin, Lee said. The Emperor shows no mercy to those who oppose him. I see no Emperor, said the Doctor. Perhaps it is not the Emperor, but the Emperor's man, Lee, who shows no mercy. Perhaps, Lee said. But now you shall deliver eternity to the Emperor. You will lead him to your wonder that is TARDIS. I shall do no such thing, the Doctor retorted. A tyrant like Ching, wandering around all time and space, doesn't bear thinking about. Lee considered the Doctor through calculating eyes. Then the Doctor would have all of eternity to reconsider his decision, he said. He ordered the guards to take us away. We were locked deep in the palace dungeons. The air was heavy and fetid, and I could hear rats rustling in the straw. A huge iron bar secured our cell door. We were to stay there until we had revealed the location of the TARDIS, Lee had told us. If we didn't, then we would be left to starve to death. Our prospects were grim. Our one hope 
was that Chong might still succeed in his mission. Then perhaps he would find us and release us. Like as not, we'll just be forgotten about and left down here to die. Jamie, do you have to be so unhelpful? Wait a minute. What was that? Meng, what are you doing here? Urging us to be silent, Meng indicated we should follow him out of the cell. We had to leave now while it was night and the Emperor was sleeping, he whispered. Come on then, what are we waiting for? Let's get back to the TARDIS. The doctor paused for a moment. Why are you letting us go, Meng? he asked suspiciously. He hated the Emperor, Meng claimed. Chin having power over all eternity was a thought too terrible to contemplate. That was why we had to leave now. Meng escorted us through the deserted city streets to a courtyard near the city walls. Three settled horses were waiting for us there. Meng told us he had bribed a guardsman to leave one of the city gates open. Speed was vital, he said. If we hurried, then we could reach the sacred mountain by dawn before Li learned of our escape. We rode off into the night, into the approaching storm. Men had indicated a passage through the bamboo forest, known only to the Emperor's men, and soon we were crossing the plains outside the city. By dawn, we had crossed the river. Before us rose the sacred mountain. What are we waiting for? Come on, let's get a move on. An hour's ride and then we can all get out of this place in the TARDIS. Not yet, Jamie. We have to go to the village first. Isn't that right, Doctor? The doctor agreed and spurred his horse on away from the mountain and onto the village. As the rain fell heavier, it turned the ground to mud, slowing us down. Doctor, are you mad in the head? We have to get back to the TARDIS. Lee will know we've escaped by now. Any minute he'll be on our tail. Lee will carry out his threat, Jamie. He'll burn the village down. We have to warn them. But they've done nothing for us. They've betrayed us. If they hadn't been like Chong was the assassin... And he wasn't the assassin, was he? <laughs> Jamie, we have to warn them. Aye, but... There's been too much killing, Jamie. We must save them from Lee and the Emperor. <laughs> As we rode up to the village, the men were leaving for their work in the fields. The moment they heard our news... They made for their horses and rode off. But our diversion had cost us valuable time. In the distance, I saw Lee's men already crossing the river. There wasn't a moment to lose. We had to reach the TARDIS. We urged on our horses and raced across the fields to the foothills. When the path finally became too steep and narrow for the horses, we had to dismount and continue on foot. The storm was growing wilder now. No wonder that both Fen and Chong had regarded it as a sign of the gods' anger. The wind lashed and slapped my face. I slipped. I fell in the mud. Jamie dragged me to my feet and pulled me along after him. The TARDIS was almost within sight now. Within minutes we'd be safe. I glanced anxiously behind me. Lee's men had also left their horses and were climbing after us. Of their master, there was no sign. The doctor finally reached the TARDIS. Panting for breath, he fumbled in his pockets for the key. Doctor, hurry, they're almost here. Victoria, come on. Exhausted by the climb, I leant against a large rock. Just a second, Jamie. I, I, let me catch my breath. Suddenly, someone grabbed me from behind. Jamie rushed to my aid, but it was too late. Lee had his arm around my neck. He whipped out a dagger, pressed it to my throat. We are fools, he said. He knew we'd never reveal the location of our machine. He had ordered Meng to free us so we would lead him to the TARDIS. And now I would die unless the Doctor surrendered the TARDIS, and with it, the whole of eternity. Doctor, Jamie, just go! 
No, Victoria, we can't leave you. You can't let the Emperor have the TARDIS. Sadly, the Doctor shook his head. He could not allow Lee to kill me. He would give him the TARDIS. Let the girl go, a voice commanded above the wind and the rain. There will be no more killings. We all turned to see who had spoken. It was Chong. No longer wearing the simple blue habit of a monk, he was now dressed in black. Lee released me and bowed before Chong. His men had now reached the TARDIS, and upon seeing Chong, they too fell at his feet. What's he doing here? I thought we'd seen the last of him. Chong, who are you? We are the Emperor Ching, he declared. Now we're in trouble. Chong ignored Jamie. We dressed in a monk's vestments better to mingle with our people and learned of the deeds carried out in our name, he explained. I remember the chest of clothes we discovered. There'd been a monk's tunic in there, I now realized. Chong, or rather the Emperor Ching, ordered Li to rise. What had the people of Shangto done that they deserved their fate, he asked Li. It was a fate he had recently learnt about, and one which filled him with revulsion. Order had to be maintained, Li insisted. The Emperor's rule had to be absolute. An angry look flashed across Chin's face. For a moment, I thought he was going to strike Li. Don't hurt him, I cried, and stepped in between the Emperor and his Chancellor. Hasn't there been enough killing and violence in the past few days? Can't you learn to forgive? We had spoken about forgiveness a few days before the Emperor called, when I had told him I had even forgiven the demons that had killed my father. Should he now forgive Lee for the barbaric acts carried out in his name, he asked. Before I could reply, Lee interrupted. He had brought the Emperor a great prize, he said. The TARDIS was surely the ninth wonder, a magical device capable of travel throughout all eternity. The prize is useless if the Doctor will not willingly show us how to use it, the Emperor pointed out. Enforce him, he said, or we kill the girl. Lee grabbed hold of me again. The Emperor pulled him away. There will be no more killings, he repeated. We are wearying of eternity, Lee. Perhaps it is time to accept our mortality. But my lord, Lee protested, the gods. The gods, said the emperor. We have spent our whole life fleeing the gods, seeking immortality so we might escape their judgment. Then take the Doctor's wonder, my lord, Lee urged. The gods cannot hunt you down through eternity. The Emperor ignored Lee and instead turned to me. Victoria Waterfield, you saw good in the monk everyone believed a traitor, he said. You also tried to save the life of a man you thought was Emperor. I recall the sobbing in the throne room. Chong had been there all the time, I realized. And now you are prepared to die so your friends may go free, he continued. Chong, I don't understand, I began. The doctor told me to be silent. Things were out of our hands now. Victoria Waterfield has shown us the importance of forgiveness and of the chance of redemption, the emperor said. If she can find it to forgive, then perhaps so can the gods. I frowned and looked at the doctor and Jamie. What did he mean? We give you leave to go, he told us. From here on, we forswear our quest for immortality. We throw ourselves now on the God's mercy. But my Lord, all I did was in your name, Lee protested. And if you die, then what is to become of the Empire? It will survive without us, Chin said. And you will find other masters. The Emperor smiled at me. Go with your friends, Victoria Waterfield, he said. Go and resume your wanderings throughout eternity. We have done great evil, Victoria Waterfield, but now we repent. We will prepare to meet our gods 
and pray they show us the forgiveness you have shown me man is capable of. The Doctor, Jamie and I walked back to the TARDIS. The rain had stopped falling and the storm that had been raging for so long over China fell silent. The Emperor had declined eternity and accepted his fate. And the gods, it seemed, were no longer angry.